You're listening to The Wannabe Minimalist Show with Deanna Yates, episode number 119. On today's episode, I'm chatting with Miranda Bauer, postpartum nutrition expert, about taking care of ourselves after giving birth. It was an eye-opening conversation, and I found it really fascinating, especially when we got into looking at what other cultures do to take care of mothers. And even if you're several years past giving birth like I am, I'm pretty sure you're going to find some nuggets of wisdom and inspiration as we dive into Miranda's story and how decluttering has benefited her home while becoming a mother. So stay tuned. Welcome to Wannabe Clutter Free, formerly Wannabe Minimalist, the podcast for busy families who are tired of the chaos, fed up with being overwhelmed, and ready to enjoy life again. Each week, we talk about how to let go of the clutter so that you can focus on the things that actually matter. And it's not just physical clutter. We talk about the mental and emotional stuff too, because if it's holding you back, it's time to ditch it. I share what I've done in my own life to declutter, organize, and calm the chaos, but you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's practical, doable, and simple for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Hey there, my wannabe minimalist friend. Welcome back to the show. I am so loving the September weather and the transition away from the hustle at the start of the new school year into the start of the holidays. So this brief lull might actually be one of my favorite times of year. It feels like a time of healing for me, and it's the perfect fit for my conversation today. But before we get too far into the show, I want to say thank you for joining me. I know you have a lot of things vying for your time, and I cherish that you choose to spend some of your week with me. I strive to bring you interesting topics and ideas. Now, of course, my passion is decluttering and showing you that an amazing life is possible with less, but life is multifaceted, and so we're always looking at different topics that contribute to a full, healthy, and vibrant life. Today's topic fits into this world. We are diving into the topic of postpartum health. Now, I know many of you listening to this are mamas. Perhaps you are in this phase right now. Perhaps you're way past this phase. Or perhaps you're like me a few years out, but not sure if you did all the things that you were supposed to do. Well, my guest today is here to help us understand this phase of postpartum. Surprise, it's actually longer than you might think. And answer the questions of how we fully heal our bodies when they have been through so many changes. Miranda Bauer is the CEO and founder of Postpartum University, supporting both professionals and mothers in health and whole body healing. She is a renowned expert and top educator in the fields of functional nutrition and coaching in relation to postpartum and nicknamed the womb whisperer. Miranda has also been named as a bestselling author, is an international speaker, and has appeared in over 50 publications. We dive into so many fascinating topics, and I am ashamed to say that I was not as educated on this topic as I feel I should have been. For crying out loud, I am a mother, and I have been through this postpartum phase. I'm just chalking it up to the fact that we don't plan on getting pregnant again, and so I think I'm just mentally in a different place. I feel like I have let a lot of that part of me go. But that all changes today. I actually learned a lot as well as gained an appreciation for my own experience. And I know that you will learn a lot too. Plus, I think it's super important to be an advocate to help others so that even if we're past this postpartum phase, we can help others. Or perhaps we can help our children or our grandchildren to have a better experience than we did. 
I loved my conversation with Miranda, and I even shared some of my own birth story. So it was the first on this podcast. And please forgive me because I think I was pretty nervous that I was sharing it and being so personal. So I know I do sound a little nervous and maybe a little, um, I don't know. Anyway, forgive me as you listen to that part. Please listen with grace. And give this episode a listen. And when you're done, head over to wannabeclutterfree.com slash 119 to get the show notes for today's episode with links to Miranda's website and more information about her podcast. Again, you can find it all at wannabeclutterfree.com forward slash the number 119. And now let's get on to our conversation. Well, hi, Miranda. Welcome to the Wannabe Minimalist Show. I am excited about today. It should be a lot of fun. Thank you so much for being here. It's such an honor to be here. Yes. Oh my gosh. So this is going to be a new topic to my podcast and kind of to my own life. So I'm looking forward to learning a lot today. We are going to be talking about postpartum. And so I want to learn about you and kind of what led you to your journey to becoming a postpartum nutrition specialist. What is that? And how did we get here? I know crazy, right? Because I never knew any of this world of postpartum existed. And I will tell you, if you're listening in, you're like, Oh, I'm not postpartum. I haven't had a baby in a while. I will tell you if you're six years after having a baby, you are absolutely still postpartum. And I didn't discover this until I had my own babies. Like nobody talks about postpartum, right? We live in a culture that really supports this bounce back, you know, idea where it's like, you're supposed to get back to life as if you never had a baby at all. Right. Like, of course you're superwoman. Like you just gave birth. Cool. Get back to work, get back to doing the things like it's no big deal. But in reality, that's what is truly killing motherhood. I mean, we are suffering immensely. Our rates of depression and anxiety and even autoimmune disease are climbing exponentially right now. The way that we are doing motherhood is not working. And what we've done is we've normalized those things, right? We've said depression and anxiety and developing an autoimmune disease in the years after having a baby, those are normal things. You can expect that because you're a mom and you had a baby and of course your hormones are out of balance. And so what we've done is normalized mediocre motherhood and we've settled there rather than saying, what's going on here? Something's got to change. Something needs to shift because I'm not getting my needs met. I'm not getting the support. I'm not getting the care and attention that my body is absolutely craving for my, for myself and for my existence in this world. And so unfortunately I had to go through that experience with severe postpartum depression and anxiety. I had also, I have four children. So I've also been diagnosed with an autoimmune disorder, uh, during one of my, after my baby's birth. Um, and I also had uh, postpartum bipolar which most people don't even know is a thing. I certainly did it until I was sitting in the doctor's office getting that crazy diagnosis. And I'm thinking, oh my God, who am I? What just happened here? And going through the motion of healing and discovering, like, wait a second, we're doing this wrong. Like, this is not how it's supposed to be. That was life-changing. And because of that, 10 years later, here I am, I've been doing this 10 plus years, kind of aging myself. 
supporting women and healing their bodies deeply in the years after having a baby and also supporting professionals. I, you know, I, I teach and educate uh, providers, uh, medical providers, doctors, midwives, nurses, uh, nutritionists, and how to truly care for this unique period of time that no one's talking about. So interesting. Okay. We are going to get into a lot of topics off of what you just said here, but it's really fascinating. And I want to kind of start my first question. I think I'm going to ask you after that is what is the age then? Like how long after birth are we talking? So I have a nine-year-old. I only have one child. So am I out of this or is like, I mean, I understand that like everything we do in life kind of carries forward, but is there like a sweet spot we're talking about? What are, explain to me a little bit more because we don't talk about this as a society. Like this hasn't really even come up and I'm a mom, like I've gone through this whole birthing process and yet I still am sitting here going, I'm I'm what? Tell me more. Like, I don't know. It's such a good question. And there are many people in the world who will tell you, oh, you're done and being postpartum at the six week mark, right? Which I think every mom can laugh out loud about seriously, because we look back at six weeks postpartum where we're like, oh my gosh, we're still in the throes of so many major changes that were occurring within our bodies, right? And some people are like, oh, well, it's one year or two years after having a baby, right? And oftentimes that's another level of huge shift that's occurring within our own bodies. There's an emotional shift that's, that's taking place. Um, there's some other physi- physiological shifts that are taking place after having a baby. And for many of us, like myself, I was pregnant again before I even left that, right? And so I was just like repeating this cycle. There's a lot of people out there in the professional world who will tell you that you're postpartum for life. That it never ends because postpartum, right, means after the birth. And so therefore you're always in this space. But when we start looking at the science behind it and we start putting, okay, what's happening to the body on a physiological and psychological level, right? And we start, you know, take, you know, ticking, you know, off all of the different changes that are truly occurring within the body. Like we know our body's changing in postpartum. We know it's, it's different but nobody actually tells us how it's different, right? We don't talk about how the nervous system changes on a fundamental level, how uh, we digest foods differently after giving birth. Like we don't, we don't actually get into this and support women at this this deep level. Right. So I don't want to get too far off the topic here because we can, we can dive into so many different avenues, but the, the real answer is it depends. It depends on how well you care and nourish and, and get support during the postpartum period. And if you are truly able to get the rest and recovery and nutrients that you need to, to make that full recovery, your period in postpartum is going to be significantly less. But for most of us in the U.S. and the modern world, we're struggling. We're not getting the support that we need. And, and study, a recent study just came out and, and declared that six years is the average time that it takes for a woman to get back to feeling like themselves after having a baby on all levels, meaning that she is no longer postpartum. Six years. Hmm. Fascinating. So yeah. Okay. 
Let's talk a little bit. I've on your Instagram, you have a few posts about kind of this international. Now I have traveled a lot and I find it very fascinating to talk about different cultures and different, you know, places around the world and how people do different things. And I, I totally geek out on that. So let's dive there a little bit. I didn't, you know, prep you on this one. So apologies for that, but this one I'm fascinated with. So you've talked about recently, I think India and China, and I don't know if you have any others. I wasn't able to really dive too deep, but what are some of the biggest differences you've seen there? I mean, yes, in the U S like we don't even have a, a mandated, you know, maternity leave. Like, I mean, there's zero days mandated that you have to have maternity leave. And so that to me is just a little bit crazy. And so let's talk about that. What is, what do other people have that's normal or what are some of the things we could be doing for ourselves? And maybe we're having to carve that out for ourselves, but let's talk a little bit about that. What are some of those differences? I'm fascinated. I love this question so much. (laughs) So I, I, we're right now in the process of releasing a series on a multitude of different different cultures around the world. And we're talking about cultural traditions, right? Things that have been around for many, many generations, usually before the last two generations. I mean, we're talking about great grandmothers and previous, because these are the traditional roots of postpartum care, because we, we used these things, and which I'll share here in a second, to truly heal the body. We had a deeper understanding of what it meant before entering into this industrial, complex, male-dominated medical world, right? We truly took care of women. Yeah, because guess what, guys and ladies, everyone listening, we've been having babies since the birth of time, right? Like ever since we've been around, women have been birthing children. So it's so weird that we've gotten so far away from this, I think, and just detached ourselves completely. So anyway, I just wanted to say that. Keep keep going, keep going. Yes, absolutely. We have, we have completely detached ourselves and we have been doing this for the last couple of generations, right? Where 10 years ago, I would say, oh, let's look at how your, your grandma had taken care of her body, right? Well, that's actually no longer the case, right? The generations have, have kind of dwindled. We've lost this information on how to care for a mother in the postpartum period. And so when we look at, okay, well, how are other cultures doing it? What were their traditional practices, right? We can actually find several universal similarities between them. We know that they highly valued food. Nutrition is the fundamental missing piece of healing. In our culture, we don't take care of ourselves in terms of nutrition. And actually our our world is littered with so much misinformation. And we actually assume that getting back to postpartum, you know, life and, and, you know, just having a life with baby is just going to get easier and it's going to be fine and we can just move on and start eating salads and smoothies and getting our body back. And that's actually some of the worst foods that you can consume in the postpartum period that will actually make you much more ill because of the changes that are occurring in your body. You'll gain more weight. You'll struggle with hormone balance, so many different issues, right? So when we are looking at the cultural ways of postpartum, we can see that these foods are not something that has ever been used 
for postpartum healing. And there's a, there's a multitude of reasons. I won't go into that, but food being one of the fundamental ways in which to heal. Every culture in the world focuses on food as a, as a means, and it's nutrient-dense food that is easy to digest. Soups, so, uh, stews, broths, those are the foods that every culture is serving during this time. Porridges, like they're, they're just warm and, and fuzzy and yummy and like that soul-nurturing food, right? And that's one piece. There's, and there's multiple other pieces like making sure a mother is constantly warm. Warming practices are phenomenal for healing. Using spices and herbs to heal. These are things that we don't talk about. We don't, we don't share in our culture. Like we don't have any sort of healing practices. As a matter of fact, when we think about postpartum, we focus specifically on the baby, the best car seat making sure we have all of the blankets and all of the clothes. We are focused solely on something else. Well, we'll make sure that we get the breast pump and, you know, breastfeeding goes well or the bottles or, you know, the best formula, whatever it is to feed our baby. But that's about it. That's nobody's talking about what are some of the ways in which I can incorporate healing for my own body so that I can be a hundred percent for my baby. Instead, we just focus on the baby. We will be right back. And now back to the show. And we struggle in the same sense. And in the traditional world, when we're looking at other cultures, it's the complete opposite. They come from an understanding of if we take care of a mother, we will simultaneously meet the needs of her family. Right. Because that's a mother's goal, right? I mean, her whole, I mean, I'll speak for myself, right? (laughs) Once I had a baby, like, yes, it's so there, it's all consuming, right? Like she was all consuming and I love my daughter to death. I, most mothers do. And, you know, so of course, if I'm taken care of, of course, I'm going to take care of her. That's the only thing I want to do is take care of her. So it makes perfect sense that we would do that. A couple things. So to kind of piggyback off of what you said, I do think maybe, and you correct me because this is not my space. So if I'm wrong, please let me know. But perhaps there's a little, a teeny tiny little bit of progress being made because I know there's things like breast milk teas and, you know, things that help with like breast milk production. And we won't go off on the tangent on breastfeeding, not breastfeeding, whatever. We're, that's not what we're here for. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I do think maybe there's a little bit bit teeny tiny. You tell me if it's maybe a little step in the right way, where at least we're having a conversation about like, this might be helpful to help your body in some way. But again, it does come back to the baby, right? It's the baby focused because it is about providing the milk for the baby and not necessarily helping us, but maybe it can shift our minds a little bit. So that's the first one thoughts on that. Oh, so many. So first off, (laughs) I, I actually believe we've made significant strides right? So many strides. And when it comes to postpartum, and a lot of it has to do with the awareness piece, right? There's so many people who are are letting others know like, hey, postpartum depression is a thing, right? We have to take care of our bodies. We have doulas who are coming into the scene. Like, I mean, there's so many doulas. It's absolutely crazy. And if you don't know what a doula is, these are like support people that you can actually hire to come take care of you and labor and in the postpartum period. They're magical. 
and they are a wealth of information. And so they're, they're being the support systems that we truly need. And so we're seeing these things occur. We're seeing insurance companies paying for these things, right? I know it's mind boggling. Now I will tell you, I know it's, it's still a broken system, right? It's still very difficult to collect money on for insurance in regards to this, right? There's so many loopholes in the system and a big part of the focus still is on normalizing the challenges. So we're still talking about, hey, this is likely, you have a 30% chance of developing postpartum depression, right? But nobody is really talking about why that is and getting to the root cause, okay? Instead, our our medicalized model of care is is throwing Band-Aid fixes at it. Here's your medication, here's your therapy, and those absolutely serve a purpose. But again, they're not addressing the root cause of disease and dysfunction and feeling like crap in motherhood. And so we can keep making those things. We can keep doing those things, but it's not going to change the outcome in the end. And yes, you know, awareness is so important because it's made such huge strides in what we're seeing, but it's time to move beyond. It's time to actually start making some changes in the way we approach motherhood. And that's not going to happen on a societal level until we as mothers individually stand up and say, wait a second, this isn't okay. Mm -hmm. Like, wait a second, this is not okay for me to feel this way. And I deserve better. Yeah. Until a woman starts doing that within her own home and her own life, it's not going to happen on any other level. You know, I, I see this so often where it's, we, we need society. We need our community to step up and take care of mothers. And that is how it used to be in the traditional sense, right? These were cultures around the world. Like this is what they did. Your, your community took care of you, but we can't stand back and continue blaming community for not stepping up to our needs. If we're not the ones saying, wait a second, I'm, I need support here. And I get it. That's like the hardest thing in the entire world when you're in the throes of it to stand up and say, no, this is not right. I deserve better. And to actually start putting things out in the world to, to, you know, to get that support, that's incredibly difficult. I remember laying in my bed, crying, completely unable to move and get out of my bed. I mean, just intense depression and anxiety. And then to know that I was the one who had to be responsible for, for actually getting the support that I needed, that only made me angry. It made me more depressed, but unfortunately we have to do this for ourselves, but also for our daughters and for yes. the generations to come. Yeah. We have to do the hard part right now. Hmm. And if it's not for you, let it be for your child. Yeah. Demand better. Right. And even if you have sons that, mm. you know, Mm. any future grandchildren that you want, there's going to be a mother on the other end birthing that child. So, you know, this isn't, this isn't done even if you don't have daughters. So fascinating. Okay. I, I honestly, I'm listening to this and I feel, I'm feeling very fortunate because when I was pregnant, we lived in Boulder, Colorado. And Boulder is known for being crunchy and into 
you know, yoga and all the things. And I'm really feeling very lucky that I got to drink the Kool-Aid, so to speak, when I lived there. I mean, I was in my prenatal yoga. I, you know, I'm not, not saying this to brag or anything, but you know, I, I was like, I'm going to have a natural birth and I'm going to, you know, I'm doing all the things. And, you know, we didn't end up having a doula, but I mean, that was definitely part of the conversation and, you know, all of this stuff, you know, at home births were kind of a big thing and people can have all of their opinions on that. I'm not saying what is right or wrong. You could, you do what works for you, please. Um, but it, and you know what we did end up working for us, but I did end up having that natural birth. And I'm, I don't know if I've ever actually shared this story. So this is really interesting. Um, <laughs> sorry folks, if you're not into this, um, <laughs> but, um, after I gave birth to her, I remember like they put the IV in and I was like, but I'm not doing drugs. And like, well, we have to have it just in case I was like, okay, fine, whatever. Um, I kind of hate needles, but we'll just talk about that another time. I know I'm birthing a child and I'm like, don't put a needle in my hand, stupid, but <laughs> So they, you know, whatever, they have the IV, I have my daughter and they're like, okay, well now we're going to, um, you know, give you some Pitocin to help with, you know, the afterbirth. And, you know, here I am like hormoned up, like, just like, well, you know, just went through like the most amazing and traumatic and crazy experience of my life. And they're wanting to make me to make this decision. And thank goodness my husband was there to be my advocate and was like, whoa, whoa, whoa is that really necessary? Or is that just kind of like standard practice? And they're like, well, you know, it's standard practice. And, and again, I am all for medicine and science and really back. I mean, I really back it. So, but this was a moment. It was like, if it's not necessary, can we just hold like, we'll have it there. But like, it's just so interesting how all these things can happen. And you're having to make these decisions in a completely different state. Like you're just, there's so much going on. And so having to make these decisions and like you said, be your advocate. And so if we can be advocates for other women, especially now here, my daughter is nine. So I am, you know, nine years out and I feel really lucky. I think I had a decent community there. I, there were, I had other friends that were pregnant around the same time. So it was nice to be able to have that community. I didn't have family nearby, but we had a community of friends or a family of friends really. And being able to go to the hospital to do in the yoga center, to do milk club or whatever, you know, having like kind of made our own community around. And so I don't know, like, I I feel like I'm kind of just, I feel really lucky that I was where I was when I was, and it just worked out. So I can imagine that this would be very difficult if you're in a place that's not, you know, thinking this forward thinking and what can people do? Like what's something we can do? How can we advocate? How can I advocate for people and, you know, make this more common? That's a really good question. There's, there's a lot of things that you can do. I want to tell you that wherever you are in your journey, you are absolutely a positively 1000% not alone. Right. And it's not your fault. We've, we've really created a society that doesn't know how to support women. And so if you are feeling like something is wrong, like this is not yourself, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Step number one, you have to start looking out for support. And I know it sounds redundant and it sounds like it sounds absolutely crazy, but I will tell you, you hear anyone who's talked about their, their story with depression or anxiety or being really ill and, and recovering, like whatever it is. What's the number one thing they're shouting from the rooftops? Find support, tell someone, 
So that is, a, you know, it could be a counselor or a therapist, right? It could be somebody that you, that you hire. It could be your partner. It could be your best friend, your mom, right? Uh, sometimes it's a matter of going to the kids park, like having to go out of your way and go to the park and connect with another mom and be like, hey, I know this sounds a little crazy, but here's something I'm feeling like. Am I that crazy or do you feel that too, right? And I guarantee you the chances of that person being like, oh my God, I'm so happy that you said that are huge because so many are, people are suffering and they're suffering alone in, in silence. And that's not how it's supposed to be. And there's so many different things that we could do. Like oftentimes, especially in the COVID world, we have, we've, we've come to see that there are other ways of doing things, right? We have to get really creative in our approach. So if you're someone who's maybe not able to afford childcare or to afford somebody to come to your house and help you clean, that's cool. There's other things that you can do. Find a mom friend that you can exchange childcare with, right? We do this all the time in my local area where it's like, okay, I'm going to take your kids for the evening I'm going to plop them down in front of the TV and they're going to have a movie and popcorn and it's going to be super fun, but you get several hours to yourself, right? And then later in the week, they're going to do the same for me. And so we're, we're getting creative in our approach to finding support and whatever need, areas that we need. Another really amazing idea that I want to share is find people in your community, which can, you can get together with like two or three other uh, moms or families and cook bulk meals and then give each other those meals. Right. And so you cook one time a week and a huge batch of one recipe. And then you all have a designated place that you meet up on Sunday and you exchange all of the meals. So you cook one and you walk away with five. And you freezer me, you know, and so we're getting really creative with the way in which we approach caring for ourselves, because it really demands that right now we have to find these different ideas. So yes, it's not easy. And yes, it requires other people. But I will tell you those people, even if they feel it feels really difficult and challenging, and like you're the only one, I assure you, your neighbor next door is probably feeling the exact same way. It's a matter of getting together and communicating that. Yeah. And being, being like, vulnerable, right? Being vulnerable and yeah. getting together and being like, what can we do to support each other? Because right. community is where it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's kind of, yeah, that kind of really helped me work through it too. Right. I had friends, we would get together. That's funny. We used to call it babies, Bjorns and beer. <laughs> so we lived in Colorado. We all had babies. We would wear them in our Bjorns and we would go to the breweries I love <laughs> and the moms so would sit much. off in the corner and we'd feed our babies right when we got there. And then we'd get to have a beer. <laughs> So yeah, that was, it was nice. Cause that was something we would do somewhat frequently with our friends. And it was just a great way to just kind of have a moment of just, yes, we're in this new phase of life and, but I still have friends. I still have a community. I'm not losing myself completely. Okay. Couple of things I want to hop back to. One is really going back. You talked about the food that is really good for postpartum. What happens if you have a baby in summer and you're like, uh, it's 104 degrees outside. There's no way I'm having soup. I get this a lot. <laughs> I get this a lot, right? 
And there's plenty of ways in which we can work around that. The key component to this is that you are eating foods that are very easy to digest. So a lot of the things that are transpiring in your gut, the changes that are taking place in the postpartum period is that you're actually lacking the enzymes and the gastric acids and juices necessary to break down the foods that you're consuming. And so when we eat things like raw fruits and vegetables, i.e. salads or smoothies, it's actually very difficult for your body to create the enzymes necessary to break those foods down, right? And this is, this is all evidence-based material, right? Like we, we know about this and we apply it in situations of say like somebody going to get surgery, right? And needing to recover. We talk about these things, right? We just don't ever apply it to actual childbirth. And so this is happening within your digestive system. And in order to recover, the only way in which we're going to do that is by getting this, these foods and nutrient, these nutrient dense foods. And I say nutrient dense because you just had a baby, you just created life. Most women, over 90% of the US women are deficient and key nutrients, many of which are related to depression and anxiety, but that is a whole nother story. So you're, you're created life, you gave birth, you know, for many, you're breastfeeding, you're, you need a lot of nutrients. So nutrient dense, but also key component here, easy to absorb. And so uh, oftentimes we go for those soups, we go for the porridges, the stews, and those kinds of things. If that's not for you. That's totally fine. Like 104, I can't, I'm, I'm in Alaska. That makes me cry. <laughs> oh yeah. Our air conditioning broke the week I brought our daughter home and she's a June birthday. It was awful. It just, yeah. I couldn't, we were imagine. just pools of sweat. It was gross. <laughs> yeah. That's, that sounds horrific. But if you're in those kinds of spaces, that healing, that heat is very helpful for digestion too. You want to make sure that your body is comfortable. If you have to consume your foods at room temperature, because I will also tell you that really cold foods and drinks, well, actually it, it prevents the fats from being digested into your body. So you have more tummy troubles, but also fats are necessary for milk oh, yeah. production and hormone balance. Oh my gosh, hormone balance, right? Yeah. You require so many fats. Oh, and also for healing tissue. So tissue repair mm. happens with fats. So if you gave birth, guess who needs a lot of tissue support? Yeah. Yes. So if you're drinking really cold foods, you know, find cool, like absolutely. I understand, especially if it's like a hundred degrees, but don't do it when you're consuming fats, right? Make sure that you're consuming them differently. So there's, there's so many different things that you can do. It doesn't have to be like a one size fits all. And I think the important thing is, is that you're listening to your body and you're, you're, you're doing what your body is so very much requesting from you. So that doesn't mean that you don't, you know, drink a giant glass of ice water or stick your head in the freezer, been there, right? Like, yeah. Listen to your body <laughs> and your needs, but also recognize that there are some other changes and just making sure that you honor those throughout the day is going huh. to be really helpful. Oh, well, I'm actually feeling like I got really lucky, right? Like here I needed heat and guess what? 
it just was provided for me because my air conditioning went out beyond my control. And it was like a heat wave in Colorado. So we couldn't get air conditioning for like 10 days. It was, it was, it was fun, but look, turns out it was something I needed. Look at that. And I didn't even know. And as a mom, I can't, I can't remember how often I got to eat a hot meal. Like there were very few hot meals in my life. They were all room temperature (laughs) because, you know, by the time, you know, every time I sat down to eat, my daughter never wanted to be put down. So it was like, every time I sat down to eat, she would, you know, suddenly sense that I was trying to eat and would need me. It was lovely. We we master making sandwiches with one hand, right? Like do like these, and we're proud. (laughs) It's it's so funny how that works, but you know, those, those things happen. Yeah. And we have to honor those and laugh about it and, and, and realize that we're not doing anything wrong, right? This isn't about what's wrong or what's right. Yeah. But there are ways in which we can help our body heal that much. Yeah. more. Yeah. So oh, it's fascinating. Okay. So let's talk about like, what are some early warning signs that maybe we need a little more help. I mean, other than the fact that we just birthed a child, like, you know, that's a pretty big warning sign that maybe you should take care of yourself. Um, (laughs) but if it's been a little bit, let's say we're a few years out, what are some things we should be looking for that says like, Oh, you know what? I really need to go back to the drawing board a little bit here and, and take care of myself a little bit better. I will tell you that majority of my clients are not in the first few weeks after having a baby. They're in the first two to three years after having a baby, right? That toddlerhood hits. And then your toddler is a little bit more independent. They're doing things and you have like a moment, maybe, maybe a little bit more moments to step back. And that's when so many women are like, oh my gosh, how did I get here? Who am I? What has happened to me? Where did I go? And we start asking ourselves these questions in it. And there's like a panic inside that's, that's occurring. And so if you're feeling that panic, no matter if you're two or three or four years postpartum, that's also a really good sign that, Hey, something needs to shift and you should probably start reaching out for support and seeing what you need. And it doesn't, again, necessarily have to look like your standard, go get a therapist or a counselor and you need medications, right? There's so many different avenues of support. Again, if those are what you need, go for it, but also recognize that there are other areas where you can get support. Sometimes it's a matter of, you know, if you're in a position to hire somebody to clean your house, like, oh my gosh, just doing that for two months was like absolutely mind shifting for me when I needed it the most. Just taking a second to ask yourself those questions and, and understand that it might be different at different areas of your life. Like you're constantly having to reassess, right? It's okay to reassess and make different changes for what you need when that time comes. So if you're feeling like things have lost their way. You're feeling really hopeless. You're feeling as if you don't know who you are anymore. If you are struggling physically with major hair loss or aching joints or constant fatigue, right? We've labeled all of these things, very normal parts of motherhood. And they're actually not, they're a sign that something's off, um, major mood swings, period issues, get help. It's time to reach out and don't settle for, oh, it's just your hormones because you're a mom. Because that is 
the lingo we use when we don't know how to help. And so if your provider says that to you, it's time to go find a new one. And don't settle until you get the answers you need. It's a good point. Really good point. Yeah. And that can be difficult, but you're going to get through it, mama. You have, you, you know, you've gotten to this point and I know that if you're struggling, I know that you're going to be able to find some help. So I want to dive a little bit off to the side and bring it a little bit to kind of the expertise of this podcast, which is more decluttering and minimalism and and kind of living that intentional life. And so what are your thoughts about trying, you know, kind of having this clutter-free lifestyle and being organized? And do you think that can contribute to our postpartum healing and, you know, kind of thoughts around that? And you have a really fun story about you know, your life too. So let's talk about that a little bit. I do. I do. And I absolutely positively think that being minimalist, and even if you're not minimalist, but making sure that your space is decluttered and feeling clean is really important for so many. I mean, we talk about nesting and pregnancy, right? Like you're at the last couple of weeks And all of a sudden you get that urge to scrub the bathroom floor on your hands and knees and do like the craziest stuff, right? And that exists for a really good reason because we are doing everything we can to prep our space for the birth of our baby. And so there's a biological component to it that is really satisfying for us. And in the postpartum weeks and months, things get really crazy. Things get busy. All of a sudden, you know, we recognize that the littlest human can create so much laundry, right? Like how in the world could that be possible? And so we have, we have so many other things that we are going to end up putting our time and attention. And so the more that you can let go of things that don't serve you, the more that you can create a calming, peaceful environment. And I will tell you, this is actual science. Okay. Like we know in the postpartum period that if we are feeling overwhelmed in any shape, form, or fashion, whether it's through not getting the support that we need, whether it's through our environment is going to trigger a nervous system response. And because we're so sensitive during the postpartum period, we're going to react even more to that, meaning that we're going to be even more stressed than say somebody who isn't in the postpartum period. Right. And there's even studies that show how our environment plays a role in this, right? We can look at the birth and postpartum experience and we can look at the cultural traditions too. Right. So we've got science and culture, both saying that your space needs to be warm and needs to be inviting dim lights, usually the way your baby, the way you made your baby is the way, you know, the postpartum baby experience needs to be. So, you know, the dim lights, the calm music, the romantic space, right? Like that's how the baby went in. That's, that's really what your environment needs to represent a loving, beautiful environment. And we have a tendency to create a lot of emotion around the things that we have in our home. We're tied to our things emotionally. And so when we're able to let go of the things that don't serve us, we are opening ourselves to such a a beautiful space 
within our home and within the new life that we've just created. It doesn't matter if it's your first kid or your 10th kid, right? It's a new beginning for you. And that needs that newness, right? And so decluttering, letting go, releasing a lot of those emotional ties to things, it's very rewarding. And then making sure that your space is decluttered. So you don't have to deal like on a practical level. So you don't have to deal with it when your baby comes is so much better. And the less clutter you have, the less mess you have. I mean, I get it. I have four kids, right? Like things can get crazy. And I realized very quickly, the less my kids have, the less mess we have, and the more creative and exploratory they are, especially in the outdoors, which is where I prefer them. (laughs) Yeah. So I mean, it works. It works beautifully. Oh, I love it. So you yourself, would you classify yourself on a minimalism journey? I don't want to say yay or nay minimalist, but where would you find yourself on that journey. I am definitely on the spectrum. My, my husband and my family laugh at me because I'm the purger. Ah, And I will tell you, I am a, we're a homestead. So I am in Alaska. I live on 40 acres in the middle of the forest. We've got animals, we've got giant gardens. I have a husband, we have a tractor, we have dump trucks and, and equipment, right? He drives me absolutely insane because he like finds random things. And like, I'm like, this is no, like we can't keep this or no, you don't need another piece of equipment. What are you thinking? Right. And so we, we go through that part of it and there's, there's a necessity for those things, right? When you're homesteading, you need like a hundred canning jars. (laughs) Yeah. You've got to be resourceful. I get it. You've got to be resourceful. But there's also a huge part of me, like you look at my living room and it's very minimalist, right? I don't have a lot of things and that makes me very happy. And again, like my kids stuff, we make sure that they are not overloaded. They don't have plastic toys laying around or anything like that because of my own mental health. Mm, I like what you said there because of your own mental health. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, they're totally like, they are absolutely fine without it. Mm -hmm they survive, they, they thrive. They don't just survive. They thrive with what they have. And it's absolutely amazing. And I, and I love living in this, this way. And so I may not be like the picture perfect, but I think that's also simply because I I live on 40 acres in the middle of Alaska. And so there's, there's limits to what I can do in terms of my minimalism, but you know, I am, I'm pretty high up there. I mean, I don't think anyone's picture perfect unless you live alone and you don't have a family and you have nobody else to, you know, worry about, care for, deal with, and unless it's just yourself. Cause at that point you get to make all the decisions. So then you can be whatever you want to be. But when we live real life with other people, there are compromises to be made. And I, I mean, I have a whole show about minimalism and I would not call myself a picture perfect minimalist. So there is no such thing. It's fine. <laughs> that is so good to know. That makes me feel so much better. <laughs> there is no judgment. This is a judgment free zone. I, I always say that stuff isn't the enemy. Like if you love it and it brings value and joy and purpose to your life or beauty, you just think it's beautiful. You can keep it. It's the stuff that makes you feel icky his guilt ridden that doesn't add to your life that just makes you not feel great and not feel like your best self that's the stuff you got to get rid of the rest of it it'll all work out 
<laughs> exactly. And, yeah. and I have my collections, like my books, my books are my thing. So I have a lot of books. I have five bookshelves right now and they're all overflowing. Yeah. And like, they're like the floor to ceiling kind of bookshelves. And so, uh, but I only keep the ones that make me happy. There you go. Right. And and yeah. So we all have our things. Is that your thing? It's your thing. We all have our things. Yeah. Yeah. Totally fine. Go on with your bad self, girl. You keep your books. I love it. It's totally fine. Well, Marina, this has been a delight. I have learned a lot. I know my listeners are going to have learned a lot. And I just, it's a fascinating topic that I haven't really thought about really or talked about. And, you know, I think I just got pretty lucky along the way with how things worked out and where I was. So I definitely want to make sure that I am helping others and paying that forward and being an advocate where I can. So thank you for bringing this to our attention and, and kind of just sharing your message and, and all of that. So where can people find you? Cause I know they're going to want to reach out and learn more. Thank you so much. It's such an honor to be here. And I'm just so grateful to share my story. And I hope so many of you can relate and, and see um, that there is more out there to motherhood. Um, if you would like to follow me, you can find me at postpartum you, that's the letter you.com postpartum letter you.com. Um, I have my own podcast that you can listen into. You can hear my own experience and journey, um, all about culture and all about postpartum and all the things. Um, and we have tons of materials to support you along the way. If you find yourself in any of the situations we talked about today. Great. Well, and of course we will have all of that in the show notes. So if you are in a place where you can't write this down or you forget, it will always be here for you when you come back to it. So we'll make sure we get that up. But my favorite way to end all of these episodes is with three rapid fire questions. And so the first one, we maybe touched on a little bit, but what does minimalism mean to you? Mental health, hands Mm. down. As I had said, that is my mental health. My space is so important to me. This may not be rapid fire, like, <laughs> um, but I, if I am in mess, I can't focus. Like I can't get the stuff that I need done because I'm too busy thinking. But that's just my brain. That's I recognize that this is who I am as a person. And I love who I am as a person. I'm not going to change it. And I think that's fine. So Um, before I cook a meal in the kitchen, like I've got to clean it. Like that's just the person I am. And that makes me feel good. So interesting. I love it. I, it's first time I've had that answer. So I love it. Absolutely. Very cool. All right. Well, what is one of your favorite pieces of advice that you'd like to share today? Could be anything that maybe we just didn't get to. One of my absolute most favorite quotes, and I don't remember who said this, so I apologize, but it's the day I broke up with normal was the first day of my magical life. And that hits really home for me because I am not normal. And I am so in love with the fact that I am not normal and I'm so okay with not being normal. And I think the moment that I recognize that I am a very different person, like I'm just getting goosebumps, right? It was life-changing. It was absolutely life-changing. That's super fun. All right. I'm going to look that quote up. That's a good one. That's really, really good. I really seriously need to figure out who said it. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. That's really fun. It's going to help, I think, inspire a lot of people. I love that. 
The one you gave up normal was the time magic happened, something like that. So that's very cool. All right, we'll look it up. And the third one, what is making you happy right now or in this season of your life? I'm going to say two things. First is my garden. I'm Mm. loving everything that's coming out of my garden. It's the season. It's July in Alaska. We're producing and it's so fun to watch everything grow. I guess under the same breath though, my second is, is my son. He's almost 13. And like the other day, you know how sometimes you have these moments where you like step back. And I had that moment yesterday and I stepped back and I was like, oh my gosh, this kid is as tall as I am. His feet are bigger than me. Like, look, look what I made, right? Like just just this moment of awe, like look who this person is. And so I'm just relishing in that moment right now and enjoying that. Oh, so great. I love those moments when you have that, like just with your kids, you're just like, yeah, they're, they're, they're good. They're going to be good. This is cool. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so fun. Well, Miranda, this has been a delight. I really enjoyed this conversation and I just thank you for joining me on the show today and I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. All right. Cheers. What'd you think? I hope you enjoyed today's guest interview and found some helpful advice from Miranda. I know I sure did. And even though I am past that postpartum phase, talking with her and sharing my own birth story gave me a new appreciation for my experience and the experiences of others. It feels like that time in my life was so long ago, and yet it was completely life-changing, of course. And so now I want to help and be an advocate for others and explore how we can help mothers fully heal instead of expecting them to just bounce right back as though it was just a minor experience to grow and nurture and birth a human being. So if you're up for it, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Come on over to the Wannabe Minimalist Family Group on Facebook and share any takeaways you had from this episode. Let's build each other up and encourage each other on our journeys. As always, thank you for joining me too. If you made it this far, I would be thrilled if you left me a review on Apple Podcasts. Your reviews make my day and it helps me be able to book more guests on the show for you to discover and learn from. And a very special thank you to Miranda for joining us on the show today and for sharing some great advice. Remember, she has a podcast of her own where she talks all about postpartum health and healing and also hosts trainings for those looking for more hands-on help. So head on over to wannabeclutterfree.com slash 119. Again, that's wannabeclutterfree.com forward slash the number 119 to get more information. And with that, I hope you have a fabulous day and I'll see you back here next week for a solo show when I will be discussing how we've learned to keep Halloween simpler. It's a great primer as we head into the busier holidays. If you feel like the holidays seem to be getting busier and busier each and every year, I know a lot of us do. So be sure to tune in next week because I'm going to tell you that there's something we can do about it while still maintaining the fun and the magic for our families. I'm Deanna Yates, and you've been listening to the Wannabe Minimalist Show. Cheers.